The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. Amen. Thank you for the music this morning. We've been talking over the last uh, couple of months, maybe, I don't know, it's been a while, about joy, about happiness, about uh, God's blessings, and uh, this morning we're going to talk continue on that. If you would turn to to Matthew chapter 14, and uh, it's amazing how God works because we're going to talk about things that kill our joy today, joy killers. And uh, as I've kind of stated over the last several weeks, happiness is an emotion. So happiness changes with our circumstances, whatever they may be. We can can be real happy, and uh, just for instance today, it's raining outside, and uh, there may be some children that was at the lake, and they uh, were just happy, happy, happy this morning because they were going to go and swim and have fun at the lake, and then it rained, and now they're sad. So that's how quick happiness can change. It's just an emotion. It's something that, that changes. Uh, it can change on a, on, a, on a dime. It can change with circumstances. It can change uh, because of our surroundings. But joy, the Bible tells us, is something that is rooted in Christ. So uh, our joy remains even when our happiness changes. And, and that's what God has for us. And God has called us to, to live a joy, joy-filled life as Christians. That's His desire for Christians, to have a, a joy-filled life, even though there are times, and, and, and having joy doesn't mean that we go around uh, whistling all day and, and on cloud nine all day. Having joy means that, that there is a deep-rooted understanding within us that that there is something better awaiting us. That's what joy is. It's it's realizing that joy goes beyond the moment, and joy is something that's going to last for all eternity. So when we start trying to understand it, and I think it's difficult for me to comprehend sometimes and to draw a distinction between happiness and joy, because we, we think of that word joy, we just, we just equate that with happiness, and we equate that with things going great. But, but the joy that Christ is talking about, He says, I've come that you might have joy, and that your joy may be complete, or that your joy may be fulfilled. So just in that scripture, we can understand that, that Christ says, I've come that your joy would be complete, it would be filled, that it would be uh, in me, your joy will be complete. So it, it's, it's hard for us to determine, or it's kind of hard for us to separate that, but I want us to think about having that deep-rooted joy in Christ, and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about things that, that destroy our joy. As Christians, Christ comes, He's come that we might have joy, that our joy might be complete. That's what He's designed us for. That's what He has came for, that we might have a, a joy-filled life. So what are some things that, that destroy that? And this morning, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about doubt. And, and, and doubt is a, is a joy killer. It's something that robs us of our joy. So in Matthew chapter 14 is where we're going to be today. And, and when, we, when we're thinking about things that, that rob us of joy and we think about doubt, if we are doubting God, that will definitely rob us of our joy. So in Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to go down in verse 22, and Jesus is, uh, it's a, this is the... The, uh, the story about Jesus walking on the water, and I've preached on this passage before, 
Uh, this is going to be a little bit different, but there's going to be a few things that may sound a little familiar if you remember that. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go to the other side ahead of him while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside to be by himself and pray. Now, that's a good passage of Scripture. We could preach on that right this morning. What was Christ doing? He needed to get along and spend some time with God. So he, he went up by himself. He spent some time there on the mountainside praying. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, and it was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. And they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you upon the water and come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But he saw the wind and he was afraid and he began to seek and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they had climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Doubt in a, in a spiritual sense means unsure are skeptical about the promises and the presence of God. So when we say that word doubt, we're, we're really saying, I'm unsure about the promises or the presence of God. So when, when that, that doubt rises up within us and we begin to think about the promises of God, are they really real? The, the presence of God, is He really real in our lives? That comes from two different sources. First of all, it comes from within ourselves. And, and when we think about many times that we've, we think wrong about God because of our lack of knowledge or, or because of, of, of wrong things happening and our wrong thinking happening. So, so we allow it to distort our thinking about God. We begin to say, well, this doubt's coming because because I, I don't really understand what God's plan is. I don't understand what this, how I'm moving forward in this. So we begin to doubt. Doubt also comes from the accuser, Satan. And, and the Bible says he was, a, he was a liar from the beginning. He's been an accuser of the brethren from the, from the beginning. He comes to steal, he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy. So, so that other area of doubt comes is when, when Satan wants to keep us from living a joy-filled life. So... In order to do that, he raises doubts in our life. Now, if Satan can't keep us from, from being lost, and he can't, in other words, once we've accepted Christ as our personal Savior, Satan can never change that. We're, we're born again into God's family. We're, we're one of God's children, and, and nothing will ever change that. And we have that assurance, but Satan, if he can make us doubt that... He can rob us of our joy. And what's happening here, we, we read this story about Jesus, and He just miraculously fed 5,000 people. This is a story that you grew up hearing about when, when the little boy had the fishes and the loaves, and, and Jesus looked at the crowd, and He had compassion, said, these people need to eat, and the disciples said, well, send them up to McDonald's because we don't have the food for them here. That's, they literally said, let them go to town and buy them some food. 
Let them go take care of themselves. And Jesus said, well, what do we have here? And they said, oh, we just have a few fish and a little bit of bread. He said, bring it to me. And you know the story. He blessed it and they all ate. And then they gathered up baskets that were left over. So what I want you to think about this is the disciples just experienced that. They just experienced that miracle. They just saw what Christ could do. And then he sent them on, he sent them on ahead and, and uh, the winds begin to blow and the, the ship begins to be about tossed about. And about four o'clock in the morning, uh, Christ is there and he's going he's gonna to walk. I love this. I could, boy, we could go on on this whole story and, and all the implications we see here, but we don't have time for that. But, but they're terrified and they say there's a ghost out here. And, and Jesus said, guys, don't, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm, I'm here. I'm coming out to you. And, and of course, Peter says, well, if this is really you, God, then I want you to tell me to walk out there to you because I believe you. I believe that I can do that. And, and, and Christ said, well, come on, Peter, just come on out here. And when we begin to read this story, it says that Peter got out of the boat. He began to walk on the water. And what happened? He began to doubt. And why he began to doubt is he began to look around at his circumstances. Remember the difference between happiness and joy? His circumstances began to change. He began to look and it says he saw the wind and he saw the waves. And he, as he began to see those things, he began to sink. And, and he began to lose that joy. Don't you know when he first stepped out of the boat and everything was going his way? He was filled with joy. Don't you know his faith was strong? He said, look at all that's happening. Everything's going my way. This is a great time. But as the circumstances changed and, and as, he began to, as he began to sink, he began to doubt. I love this part where it says immediately. Not, not after he went under for the third time and, and was coming up for his last breath, but immediately the Bible says, Jesus reached out and he took him by the hand and he lifted him up. And he said, Peter, why did you doubt? So when we think about things that, that still our joy, doubt keeps us from trusting in Christ. That's what doubt does when that, when that doubt is raised up. And, and to think about all the things that the disciples had seen Jesus do and all the things that we understand Christ has done for us and all the things that we see throughout Scripture that Christ has done. He, he gave the disciples the power to, to heal diseases and to drive out evil spirits and to, to heal all kinds of sicknesses and, and all of those things they had experienced in their life. But because of a circumstance, all of a sudden, their doubt rose up in them. And, and as that doubt rose up in them, their, their eyes moved away from Christ. And when their eyes moved away from Christ, it resulted in a lack of faith. We see that in this story here of Peter. And remember that doubt, it, in a spiritual sense, it's to be unsure, it's to be skeptical, it's to be uh, questioning the presence and the promises of God. And, and again, we see that in Peter's life. Because of, of, of looking at the circumstances, he begins to question God. He begins to say, you know, is this really true? Are you really who you say you are? And, and, and is your presence really here? So uh, a live example we see there is Peter, and, and we see that that doubt caused him to begin to sink, to begin to lose faith. Now let me tell you this, if you're in those shoes, you're not alone. Do you know tucked over in Jude... There's a little passage of Scripture in Jude. It's, that's, the, that's the last book 
before you get to Revelation. And we kind of just go through there, and Jude don't get much attention because it's just got one chapter in it. But in Jude 22, that's Jude verse 22, listen to what Jesus said, and He told Jude to write these things, be merciful to those who doubt. See, Christ understood that there's going to be some times that there's doubt raised up in us. There's going to be some times and we, we begin to look at the circumstances and we begin to sink. And, and Christ said this, be merciful to those who have doubt. You know, a lot of times when we, we have that doubt in our lives, we begin, to, we begin to play those games. God, I need a sign. If, if, this, if this is really you, I need you to show me a sign. We may, we may even come up with something that says, okay, uh, I'm going through town and, and all of these red lights, and God, if it's, if it's where I'm supposed to be, all these lights will be green. Boy, when I get on the other side of town, I'll know, well, this was God's will. I'll, I made it through every light. It was green. Or, or God, when I, when I do my laundry tonight, when I, when I wash clothes, if, if my socks come out pink... I know, God, that's got to be your will. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make these deals with you. All, all that means is you wash something red with something white, doesn't it? That doesn't mean that God said, okay, I'm going to turn your, your, I'm gonna turn your socks pink. So, so we, we can't make deals with God. He, he says, well, I've got your word, but, but think of the company you're in if you're doubting. You remember old Moses? We're not going to turn over there, but in Moses, I mean in Exodus chapter 4, God calls Moses and he says, Moses, I have a plan for you. And Moses, I'm going I'm to send you back to Pharaoh. Remember, Moses is hiding out because he murdered somebody that was part of the king's court. So he's hiding out in the desert. He don't want to go back to Pharaoh and face the music. So God says, I'm going to send you back and you're going to deliver my people. And Moses says, well, God, I'm doubting that I'm your man. I need a sign. If you go and read Exodus 4, 1 through 9, you're going to see what God done for him. I think this is hilarious. God said, okay, I'm going to give you a sign. Throw down your staff. Y'all remember what happened? It become a snake. You remember what he done? He ran from it. <laughs> okay, God said, I'm giving you a sign. He gave him a sign. Moses took off running. I mean, he asked God for a sign. God gave him a sign, and he ran from God's own sign. But he had some doubt there. He, uh, going through that story, he, God said, okay, put your hand inside your cloak. And he, he put it in there and he pulled his hand. It looked like he had leprosy. He said, okay, put it back in there. And he, he pulled it out and it was clean again. He, he said, okay, look at the, the water from the Nile and, and it's going to look as, as, as blood. So here in that case, God said, okay, I'm going to give you a sign. But Moses, here we, we can grow up in church hearing about Moses. We can go to uh, Hebrews and we can read about uh, the, the strong men of faith and we can find Moses' name there. But we also see that Moses doubted. Remember Gideon? Gideon, that mighty warrior, and, and over in Judges chapter 6, verse 17, Gideon says, Now, Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Matthew 16, verse 1, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came to Jesus and tested Him by asking Him, they said, show us a sign from heaven that we'll know it's really you. Mark eight eleven. the Pharisees began to question Jesus. They were testing Him and they began to ask Him for a sign from heaven. And listen to what Christ done. He sighed deeply. And He says, does this generation, why does this generation 
ask for a sign. Truly I tell you, there will be no sign given. Well, we see in Moses' case, God gave a sign. We see in Matthew, God didn't give a sign. So what's the difference there? Why do we see at times he gave signs, at times he doesn't give, didn't give signs? Let me tell you what we have that they didn't have, that Moses didn't have, that the, the prophets in the Old Testament didn't have. They didn't have the Holy Spirit of God. And when God gave us the Holy Spirit, what, is he, what did he do? He gave us Jesus Christ. This will be a sign unto you. The virgin will give birth and she'll have a baby and she'll wrap him in swaddling clothes and she'll lay him in a manger. There's your sign. Here's our sign, Jesus Christ. And He gave us the Holy Spirit that we don't need a sign. Listen to what Luke 11.30 says. For as Jonah was a sign to the Ninevites. You remember Jonah? Jonah that got swallowed by the, by the whale. He was sent to Nineveh to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. As Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. So when we begin to doubt and we say, God, I I need a sign. He says, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, that's your sign. That's what I've given you this generation. That that you not not doubt that you would believe. And I've given you Jesus Christ. And, And as I've given you Jesus Christ, I've given you the Holy Spirit of God. And when we're born again Christians, the Holy Spirit of God lives within us. And when we have those doubts and when those those fears begin to rise up and we begin to look at our circumstances, we don't need to look to God for a sign. We need to look to God for His promises and His presence in our lives because that's where we find deliverance and that's where we find hope and that's where we find help. You know, growing up sometimes, we we, we want to question, Lord, Lord, if this is really You... And I think the problem with that is sometimes is, is we can manipulate the answers to fit what we want it to be, can't we? I mean, we can say, okay, this is really what I want. There's a pretty good possibility that this is going to happen. So, God, if this happens, I'm going to know that that's your will. That's the problem with saying, God, here's, here's what I want and here's the sign I need. Is we can manipulate those, those answers. But let me tell you how to put those things together. God really showed me this about 25 years ago, and I've shared this with y'all before. Most of y'all have probably heard this, but, but when I felt like God was calling me, I didn't even know what that meant. I'll be honest. I mean, I'd heard preachers get up and say, you know, God called me to the ministry. Well, I didn't know what that meant. I mean, you know, did he hear a, vo- a voice from heaven saying, go to the ministry? You know, I didn't understand what that meant. Well, what does it mean God called me to the ministry? Well, we, I was at a church down in Allen, Texas, and uh, I'd been, I grew up in that church like many of you grew up in this church, and Denise and I were married, and, uh, and we were looking for a youth minister. And, and I, I, I said, you know what, I, I just feel like that I'm supposed to do that. I, I was not a youth minister. I, had, I, I cried at the drop of a hat. I mean, I could, I, I just cried. If I get spoke to people, I couldn't do it. So I knew that I wasn't going to be no, no public speaker of any kind. And uh, so I started asking everybody. I started saying, well, you know, boy, I don't know. I just got this feeling that I was, I was a deacon. I was ordained deacon. I was actually chairman of the deacons at the time. And I said, I just got this feeling that God wants me to do this. And, and uh, I talked to a 
friends of mine, I talked to the pastor, I talked to Denise, I talked to anybody I thought could give me an answer. And you know what somebody finally said? Have you read your Bible? Well, no. <laughs> you know, I'm just looking for a, is, is a call. You know, I'm, I'm surely I'm going to hear it from somebody. And, and, uh, and, and a preacher friend of mine said, well, read your Bible. And, and when you read your Bible, pray about what you read. And when you pray about what you've read, take out a pencil in a, in a journal and say, well, today I read Matthew and I read about Peter walking on the water and, and I read chapter 14 and I read down to verse 33 and, and at the end of that and after my prayer, this is what I think God spoke to me. And then the next day, well, I, I read this in my Bible today and I prayed about it and, and I believe this is what God has spoken to me. And over two or three weeks, you go back and get in that journal and start looking back and and you begin to see what God has been telling you because it'll line up perfectly and you don't have to wonder and you don't have to doubt and you don't need a sign because God says, you know what, I've given you what you need. I've given it to you in my word. I've given you my presence within yourself and and through prayer and through scripture reading, I want to speak to you and, and I want to bring comfort to you and I want to bring direction to you and I want to bring hope to you. So often I, I, I'm, I, I want to go the, the fast food route. You know, I just want to say, hey, is this where God wants me? I want my answer right now before I can move on. But God says, you know what, I, I've got a plan. And, and here's the thing that hit me is, is I was talking to Lynn Seipert. He was a pastor at the time. And, and I said, I think God's calling me to be our youth minister. And he said, I don't think so. And I said, wait a minute. You're the one told me to read the Bible. You're the one told me to write down what God is saying. He said, here's what I say. God is calling you to ministry or he's not. He's not calling you to necessarily be this person or this person. What God is saying is, hey, are you willing to let me use you? He said, when you surrender to that, to say, okay, God, here I am. Use me, wherever you want me, use me then God will open the door where He wants you to go. When I did that, when I finally said, all right, I'm going to trust the Lord, and, 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 and God, I don't need a sign. I don't need, I don't need a friend to tell me. I, I don't need my mom or dad to tell me. I, God, I'm, I'm, I went to Your Word. I, I've read Your Word. I've prayed. I've, I've looked at all the things that I believe You've spoken to me. There came, affirmations came from my family. They came from my friends at church. But, but ultimately, through the Word of God... I said, okay, God, here I am. I'm going to trust you, and and God, wherever you want me, I never in my wildest dreams ever dreamed I would be in this pulpit at East Delta. I never, I never even, it never came into my mind at all, never. But when we're willing to say, okay, God, here I am, use me. Wherever you need me, God, here I am, Just, just use me. You know, that's what we should be praying. When we come to that point of our life and we, we have this doubt, we don't need to say, God, where's my sign? And God, I need this or I need that. When we come to God and says, okay, God, I've read your word. I'm speaking to your word. A hundred out of a hundred times, God's going to give you his best. Every time. When we just simply say, all right, I surrender. I'm going to close with this. You know, when we look at Peter's doubting. We see all those that have doubted. And, and as they came through the storm, Peter, he came through the storm. The wind was still blowing. Did y'all notice that? The waves were still buffeting. 
they still had to walk back to the boat because it says in our scripture, when they got back in the boat, the wind died down. So when Peter finally said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you, even in the midst of the storm, even while the circumstances are, are blowing, even while the waves are here, even while the wind is still here, God, I'm going to trust you in the midst of the storm. God walked Peter back to the boat, and then the wind died down. And look what happens in verse 32 and 33. And they climbed back in the boat. The wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, we can't effectively worship until we can effectively trust God. We can't effectively have what God wants us to until we can effectively trust God. As long as we have that doubt swirling around, as long as those things are raising their head, we can't truly be where God wants us to be. There's a scripture over in Corinthians, and and there's some things this side of heaven we'll never understand. And it says this, We see now as looking in a dimly lit glass, our dimly lit mirror. You know, that, that's like coming in and trying to, to fix your hair up this morning when your lights went out. A couple of weeks ago, our lights were out, weren't they? They were out for till 4 in the morning. And some of you had to get up and, and probably had to get ready and do some things. You had to do it all in the dark. And Christ wants us to understand there's some things that we're just not going to understand this side of heaven. But the second part of say, it says, but... When we see Christ face to face, when we, when we end up with our final reward, then what we know in part now, then we'll know fully. Let's pray together this morning, and I want to ask you this morning, there's, there's reason to doubt today. We've, death is, has invaded the ranks of our community and, and a family and friends and, and a couple of times in just the last couple of weeks. And, and during that time, it's so easy to say, God, where are you in the midst of your promises? And where were you and where is your presence? And I'd have to say, there's, we look today through a, a mirror dimly lit because we don't know the answers. We don't know the whys. And, and we want to know that. And, and we want to question God. And, and, and I think God says, he says, be merciful to those who doubt. But you know, ultimately, God says, I've prepared a place. And, and, and Zach, this morning, he's in a prepared place for a prepared person. And, and while there's very little joy in that right now, in the next hours and days and weeks, when we begin to take God fully at his word, we begin to trust knowing that, that we can have a deep-seated joy knowing that he's more alive today than he's ever been. And because we miss his presence and his friends miss his presence and his family misses his presence, we mourn and we grieve. But that's the reason Christ gave us hope. That's the reason he's called us into our family, even though we don't understand, even though we want some answers. Christ says, you know what, there's joy in the morning. If we lean, if we trust... We'll take our eyes off the circumstances and say, Lord, I'm going to focus on you. God, I need to lay this burden on you, and I need you to lift it from me. Then he can relieve that doubt. 
and we can find peace and joy in his presence. Lord, I pray this morning that we would learn not through just the foolishness of a man's words, but, Father, through your word and through the truth of your word, Father, that we can realize that doubt will rob us of joy, that doubt will cause us to question your promises and your presence. And, Father, just in your wisdom, you knew that we were going to doubt, and you said, but merciful, Be merciful to those who doubt. Father, I thank you for your compassion. I thank you for your love. I thank you for your comfort. And Lord, you tell us that you can give us a peace and a comfort that moves beyond our understanding. Lord, I pray as we mourn the loss of a loved one, Father, of a brother in Christ, Lord, I pray that we could turn our eyes upon you And Father, in you, we'd find peace, we'd find comfort, and we'd find hope. Lord, I thank you that you don't leave us, you don't abandon us, you don't forsake us. But you walk with us, and you carry us during our times of struggle, during our times of need. Lord, I pray now that you'd go with us through the balance of this day. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would be mending hearts in these next days and next hours, Lord. And Father, I pray that we'd find a sweetness in trusting you, and I pray this in the name of Jesus.